Good morning to you again. Glad you're here with us this morning. Um, This summer, uh, if you haven't been with us before, um, just to let you know, we've been looking at different psalms each Sunday from the first book of the psalms. Uh, So that's what's taken us throughout the course of the summer. And um, we have one more week to go and then school's going to be starting, which is crazy how fast it went by. But um, so we got a couple more psalms that we're going to look at together this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm 32, which is printed in your bulletin. Um, Psalm 32 fits in a special category of psalms. It, it fits in what's called the, the penitential psalms. Um, but that, that means it, it's a psalm that's about confession or repentance uh, of sin. And even as I, I throw that out to you right now at the beginning, I, I do wonder what that makes you think or what that makes you feel just hearing confession, repentance, penitence. Um, but we'll come back to that in a moment. But let's go ahead and read Psalm 32, verses 1 through 11, and then I'll pray for us and we'll talk about this psalm. Listen to God's holy and inerrant word. Psalm 32, beginning in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, for it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him now together and ask for his help this morning. Father, we do ask for your help this morning. Um, We come knowing all too well that we don't need to hear the voice of a man this morning. We need to hear the voice of our Creator, the one who sustains us, the one who has moved and acted in history to redeem us, the one who is right now at work restoring all things. Father, we need to hear Your voice. We need to be reminded that broken as we are, which is is truly far more than we could ever imagine, we need to be reminded this morning not only of our sin, but we need to be reminded of Your grace. And we need to be told again that though we are far more broken than we could ever imagine, we are also at the same time because of Jesus far more loved, far more forgiven, far more accepted, far more approved of than we could ever dare to dream was possible. 
And so, Father, we pray that you would lift our eyes together, even as we look at Psalm 32, in order that we might see Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, in whose name we do pray. Amen. So, back to what I was mentioning a a moment ago, those words, penitence, confession, uh, repentance, I, I could be wrong about this, but I think when most of us hear those words, or even when I hear those words, they tend to impact me negatively uh, in some way. Like, all of a sudden I feel, oh, time to feel bad about myself again, um, right? Or time for me to feel pitiful and miserable. You know, here it comes, the preacher's going to encourage us to beat ourselves up or something like that. And I think it's understandable, but what I want to encourage you from the beginning this morning as we begin to look at Psalm 32 is I want to encourage you to let your expectations be challenged a bit, Um, even to let Psalm 32 come in and reshape and rearrange your categories for thinking about confession and repentance. Um, A friend of mine once told me... uh, uh, this time when he was a kid, how he got in in big trouble for making his younger little toddler cousin uh, cry at a family function. And he said it bothered him for years because all he did as a kid was show his younger little cousin a, a trick with his yo-yo. Um, and it really bugged him. Why did this kid freak out? and cry and scream, and I got in trouble for it. And so my friend said basically he had this one pretty unsophisticated trick, you know, where he'd throw the yo-yo down, and he would let it at the bottom of the string just spin and hover there above the ground a couple inches, and then just with a flick of his finger, the yo-yo shot back up in his hand. And it was in that moment that his little cousin just freaked out and burst out in tears, and he said it took him years later to realize what had happened in that moment Um, and and what he realized is that that his little toddler cousin had just one very clear experience so far in his life with the law of causation right And, and when he was sitting in his high chair and he threw his spoon off the high chair it fell and hit the ground and stayed there until mom or dad picked it up but All of a sudden, what sorcery was this? You know, to throw a yo-yo down and just watch it hover there above the ground and then with a flick of a finger, see it shoot back up into my friend's hand and it just freaked him out because it shattered his categories. It it, it, it really, it it changed his view of reality, right, for that moment um, and burst through those categories. And I I want us to let, let Psalm 32 challenge and even burst through our categories that we may have for confession. Um, so here's what I want you to understand. Confession, it'll take a little bit to see this, but confession, it's not about beating yourself up or trying to keep you down, right? Confession, according to the Bible, it is the doorway to freedom. And it is the path for you experiencing deep joy and rest in your life. Right? It is the way to experiencing real, deep, and transformational change in your life. 
mean, you just think through your life and you think about all those times you do feel pitiful and miserable because you want to change. But maybe, it's, maybe you're not changing because you're not confessing the way the Bible would have you confess. And so I want us to talk this through in Psalm 32, talk about the true freedom of confession. And so we're going to talk about three things. The problem of guilt and shame. That's first. And then second, the practice of confession. And then third, the experience of grace. Okay, so the problem of guilt and shame, the practice of confession, and then the experience of grace. Okay, first, the problem of guilt and shame. I'm going to save for another time slowing down here and, um, and trying to define guilt and shame for you and even differentiating between guilt and shame because they're not quite the same even though they're related. But instead, what I want us to do in this point is I, I just want to jump right in and say that all of us, all of us are faced with dealing with this problem of guilt and shame in our lives. There are no exceptions. Psychiatrist and author Kurt Thompson writes, to be human is to be infected with this phenomenon we call shame. Facing this problem of shame and guilt, it is part of the human experience. Listen to David in verse 3. He writes, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. He's saying even when he was committed to not dealing with his guilt and shame, and when he was committed to not acknowledging it and not admitting it, the problem of guilt and shame, it was still dealing with him. Right? He wanted to avoid it, but what? It was eating him alive from the inside out. His bones were wasting away. He tried to keep silent, but He couldn't rest, right? That's verse 4. Day and night, God's hand was heavy upon him. This problem of guilt and shame, it it was an unavoidable reality in his life. And this problem of guilt and shame, it's an unavoidable reality in your life and mine. I'll come back to this again, but there's a unique word that shows up in this psalm twice, and it's an important word. It's, It's the word cover. It shows up in verse 1, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And then again in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. And I think if you think about it for a moment, that word cover, I mean it gets at the heart of what we all instinctively feel about our problem with guilt and shame. And it's just this, we need cover. We need something to cover us, to cover us up. Because in this life, dealing with the problem of guilt and shame, we feel dangerously exposed. We feel vulnerable. We feel unprotected, right? And listen, you you are not alone in this. Everyone in this room deals with this stuff. To be human is to be marked with a sense that you are broken at your core. This sense that you are deeply flawed. It's that sense that you have in your life that you're stained. That you're ugly. right? That that you're not enough. That something is wrong with us. that That we're frauds. And we're in danger of being found out. 
And so we instinctively know that we need cover for ourselves. In fact, trying to cover, trying on our own to cover this problem of guilt and shame, that goes a long way to explaining just about everything we do in life. Philosopher Sam Keane, he wrote the foreword to a fascinating book by the anthropologist Ernest Becker, which is a book called The Denial of Death. And it's most definitely not a Christian book, right? But listen to this quote, because it sounds somewhat Christian in its themes. This is what he wrote. No doubt one of the reasons Becker has never found a mass audience is because he shames us with the knowledge of how easily we will shed blood to purchase the assurance of our own righteousness. He reveals how our need to deny our nakedness and be arrayed in glory keeps us from acknowledging that the emperor has no clothes. He's saying Becker never got a big audience because he was able to put his finger on what we're all trying to do but don't want to admit. And that is we're all looking for some kind of righteousness to cover up our nakedness and our exposure. And if we can be honest for a moment, it is all our attempts to cover up ourselves that really go into making the world a truly horrible place. I mean, why do we look down on others and belittle others or groups of others? Why do we so quickly run to tear others down, to to tear one another down across political lines or racial lines or gender lines or socioeconomic lines because we are trying to cover our guilt and shame. So we shift the blame. Whatever our group is, we're, we're the right ones. And they're what's wrong with the world. Why do we mock and ridicule? It often masquerades in our lives as a good sense of humor, right? But it's really an attempt to cover our own painful sense of shame that we carry around in our lives. Why do, we, why do you work so hard to be a success? Whether that's to be a success in your job and in your career, or, or maybe just to be a great parent for your children, why do you stress? Why, do, why are you so obsessed with that? Lots of times we call it ambition or drive, but it's really hiding and trying to cover up to prove that we have value. We want to prove that we have worth. Why are we so obsessed with our physical appearance or obsessed with being right about everything um, or, or obsessed with being liked by everyone in the room? We're trying to cover up and we're trying to prove we're enough. We're trying to prove that we're lovable in some way. Do you remember that this pop song from maybe a year or two ago? It's by that Rachel Platten, I think was her name. Um, it, it was called Fight Song. And it, you know, that song, that it's got this big anthem kind of feel to it. And she says, this is my fight song. I, I thought about trying to sing it, but that would have been really bad. So, this is my fight song. My take back my life song, prove I'm all right song, right? And that's it. Like, deal with it or not, this problem of guilt and shame, it's going to deal with you. And we are all fighting 
to cover up and fighting to prove we're all right and that we're enough. The question is, how is all of that working out for us? Same song, ask Rachel Platten, because the last verse of that song goes, I'm losing friends and I'm chasing sleep. Everybody's worried about me. I'm in too deep. Say I'm in too deep. David would say, my bones are wasting away. Your hand was heavy upon me. No rest. My strength was dried up like the heat of the summer. What are we going to do about our problem with guilt and shame? Let's turn to the second point and talk about the practice of confession. See, David was saying in this psalm that it was in confession, not in covering up, that he finally found rest and freedom and joy and real power to change. So what does he tell us about confession? He lays out the practice of confession for us in verse 5, which consists primarily of two things. One, taking real personal responsibility for our sin. And two, by realizing that all our sin is ultimately against God. So think with me about those two things as we talk about the practice of confession. One, taking personal responsibility for our sin. Let me just for a moment try to thread the needle on something uh, for us. Some of us um, have been through some really, really hard things in this life. Um, Hard things that have happened to us. Hard things that have been said to us. um, Past interactions that we've had. uh, And that that often that often gets connected to our feeling of shame in this life. Here's the threading of the needle part. See, experiences with our families of origin or um, trauma or abuse or past interactions that we've had, those kinds of things, they can come along and they can deepen our sense of shame. And they can even speed it up in some ways and magnify it in our lives. But the Bible is very clear on this. Those things aren't the cause of our guilt and shame. Right, the true root cause of our shame and guilt is our sin. And that's exactly what David was taking responsibility for in verse 5. All you have to do is pay attention to the, amount, the number of personal pronouns that are there. Because he talks about my sin, my iniquity, my transgressions, my sin again. See, true liberating confession comes when you do the one thing that you are most terrified to do in this life which is uncover yourself and put yourself out there in the open. See, liberating confession comes, it starts where all the blame shifting and all the rationalizing and all the making excuses and covering up stop in our lives. You see see the personal responsibility here in this psalm, right? David says he's not silent anymore, right? He's acknowledging, he's confessing, he's open, verse 5, and then verse 1, of course, or I did not cover up my iniquity, he says in verse 5. 
But here's the second part that, that I need to get to. The, the, the second part of this practice of confession. It's realizing that all of your sin is ultimately against God. Here's what David says. I acknowledge my sin to you, David wrote. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And that word transgressions, that gets used twice, verse 5 and verse 1. It's a, it's a specific Hebrew word that means rebellious self-centeredness. Right? The sin beneath all our sin is self-centered rebellion against God. That's the sin beneath the sins in our lives. Years ago, we, um, we bought this house and um, it was our first... Um, first house to buy, uh, Jennifer and I. And so we were introduced to the American nightmare of owning a house and being responsible for everything that goes wrong with it, right? And so we had, we started realizing we had some, um, some problems. Uh, so first of all, in our house, um, our washing machine started backing up with water. Um, and then we noticed our, our sink in the kitchen started backing up with water. And then the bathtub down the hall started backing up with water. And I invested a lot of money in Drano in those days, trying to figure out what was wrong. And finally, I gave up and I called the plumber. And so he came over and looked at it and he broke the news to me that the problem wasn't the washing machine or the kitchen sink or the bathtub. Those were just symptoms of the problem, right? The real problem with the plumbing was underneath our house. And so I said, well, do what you have to do to fix it. So the next day, there's a tractor in my backyard, and they're ripping men with shovels, and they're ripping through my concrete back, patio in the backyard, and, and all that stuff, and they, all to get underneath my house and fix the problem. And they did it. And they handed me a bill that made me think I should have been a plumber. Um, but uh, see, here, here's the deal. The stuff on the surface, right, the washing machine, the sink, the bathtub, right, those are just symptoms of a deeper issue. And the question that I want to ask you and have you ask yourself is, can you trace the symptoms of your sin underneath to the deeper sin of self-centered rebellion against God? Because, listen, maybe, maybe the symptom that bubbles up to the surface in your life is sexual, ascent, sexual sin. Or maybe it's another kind of addiction that has you in its grips. Or maybe it's workaholism. Or, or maybe it's your anger and your bitterness that you just can't ever seem to overcome in your life. And I'm asking, can you trace... Can you trace those symptoms back to your rebellion against God? Because the reason you turn to sex is because you crave someone's adoration so that you could feel beautiful, so that you could feel desired, or you need to feel power maybe to control and attract someone in order to feel valuable. And deep down, what you're determined to do is you are determined to grasp for your value and your worth instead of trusting God to give it to you. Right? The reason you're a slave to achieving and accomplishing in your career and climbing the ladder, or however you put it, is because you're grasping to prove your significance. And you're trying to prove that you matter. Right? Because deep down, you don't trust God. You don't trust Him for your worth and your significance. 
So you rebel and you grasp for yourself. The reason you struggle with anger and bitterness is because someone or circumstances themselves kept you from getting something that you thought you had to have in order to be satisfied and complete and whole. And deep down, you don't trust in God, right? And you don't trust in His goodness to satisfy you, to complete you and make you whole. What I'm saying is you have to learn how to dig deep underneath the symptoms because only when your practice of confession gets this deep and this personal in your life will you find freedom and joy and really a power to move forward and change. You remember what we said earlier about assuming that confession is about making ourselves feel bad and pitiful and miserable and beating ourselves up and all that? That's a kind of confession in our lives that never leads to rest. It never leads to freedom. It never leads to joy. And it never leads to the power to change. And that's why we often feel stuck. Right? Two quick examples of a kind of confession that doesn't go deep enough to take personal responsibility or realize that all sin is ultimately against God. First, here's what we do. We're very sorry about the consequences of our sin. We're very sorry about how our sin hurts us. About how it embarrasses us, maybe. Listen, it's the consequences of sin that hurt you. But it is the sin, the deep-centered, selfish rebellion that hurts God. And true freedom comes in your life when you're finally sorry, not just for what your sin does to you, but when you're really sorry for what it does to God. And second, you know, we can also be sorry in an effort to cover up our sin again and try to pay for our sin in some way. And we've done it. I've done it. We've said to ourselves, this time, I'm going to feel guilty enough, shameful enough, miserable enough, that I'll never do it again. I'll pay for it with as much misery and self-pity as I can muster. But one week later, we're right back in it. Confession that sets you free isn't about hating yourself. right? It's about hating sin because it is against your good and loving Father. And only when our confession gets that deep and that personal will we ever find the true freedom of confession that brings joy and real change to our lives. So finally, let's look at the experience of grace. How did David uncover himself before the Lord, especially when it's the one thing we're most terrified to do? You know what a paradox is? Um, It's the holding together of two truths that seem to be in complete contradiction and to be incompatible with one another, right? So here's the gospel paradox. If you try to cover yourself, God will never be able to cover you. Only when you uncover yourself will God cover you completely. Verse 5, David wrote that he uncovered his iniquity and God forgave And listen, not just his sin, but the iniquity of his sin, right? The sinfulness of his sin, the sin beneath all his sin. 
Verse 1, David uncovered and God covered his sin. David lived about a thousand years before Jesus. We have a much fuller picture than David had. But David definitely saw hints of God's covering grace. Hints that someone or something outside of himself would have to come in order to cover his guilt and his shame completely. And I want you to just for a moment think about one of the earliest hints of this covering grace with me. So think about Adam and Eve. When God made them and put them in paradise. And how they were what? Naked and unashamed. Right? They were uncovered before God. They were uncovered before one another. And it was paradise. They were knowing and being known fully. But what happened when they asserted their self-centered rebellion? What happened to them when they said, we'll be our own gods, thank you very much? Right? They realized their nakedness in that moment. I mean, all of a sudden, into this world and into their lives came this deep, painful insecurity and anxiety about who they were at the core. They were guilty and ashamed, and so what did they do? They went out looking for something to cover their nakedness. Fig leaves for them. Why? Because they could not bear for anyone to have an unmediated knowledge of them anymore. They had to control what others saw. I can't retell the whole Adam and Eve story, but do you remember how God came to them after, after they fell into sin? And He came and what He did, He was like a counselor. He came in asking them questions, right? Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree I commanded you not to eat from? Listen, God didn't ask because He didn't know. Right? He was gently leading them. What do you think He was leading them to? To freedom. To confession. Adam and Eve, if you cover yourself, I can't cover you. Only if you uncover your sin before me can I cover you completely. And what happened? Genesis 3.27, we're told this. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. He covered them. The only way to be covered is to uncover and let God cover you. And the only way to cover Adam and Eve, the only way that could happen was for something to die. Listen, I'm fuzzy on the details of this, but I was thinking about this documentary that I saw years ago on Scotland. And a part of that documentary was concerned with a a Scottish shepherd. And what made it interesting was that there was some disease that was making it through his, um, I was going to say herd, I think flock of sheep, right? Um, And it it was something like mad cow disease, but for sheep. And, uh, And so while they were filming, there happened to be a mother sheep who died. And left this little orphaned lamb that still needed a nurse in order to survive. But at the same time, there was a mother sheep whose little, whose little lamb had died. 
And so it just looked like it would work out perfectly, right? Because this little orphaned lamb could be united with this mother who lost her lamb, and she would have a lamb to care for, and this lamb could nurse, right? But here's what happened. Every time that little lamb tried to get close to that mother sheep, right? She would run it off. She would smell its scent and realize that's not my lamb. And he could never nurse. So you know what that shepherd did? He skinned the dead little lamb and wrapped the orphan lamb in those skins. And he covered the orphan lamb with the, with the mother's true lamb. Right? And the next time that lamb got close to that mother sheep, to nurse. She smelled the scent of her lamb and she brought him all the way in to nurse. You know, David, David knew the hints in the Old Testament that something had to die in order to cover his guilt and shame. Something would have to die. Something, rather someone, came. To die to cover us, God's own Son. Do you know what happened at Jesus' crucifixion? He died, yes. But how did He die? He died uncovered, stripped naked, and exposed for you. Nailed to the cross and heaped on Him without covering was all our guilt and all our shame. And all our sin. He was uncovered to bear our sins so that He could cover us with His righteousness. So that now when you go to the Father, you can be brought all the way in. So that now when His Father sees you, He sees the complete and perfect righteousness of Him who was the ultimate and true Lamb slain for you. If you know that, you're free. You really are. And you're free to do the one thing that terrifies you the most. You can uncover yourself before God and know you will find grace. And that's the freedom that brings joy, rest, and power to change. I'm going to work through the rest of the psalm very, very briefly with four little applications, right? One is this. Don't hide Don't cover up. You're only ever as sick as the secrets you keep. Verse 6, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. If you feel God's hand heavy upon you and your bones feel like they're wasting away, do you know what that is? That is His grace and His mercy to you. And He is leading you to confession, to repentance. It's easy to keep silent and dismiss it. I'll get to that later. But will you? Will you really get to it later? How can you be so sure? Call on Him, David says, at a time when He may be found. Now. Second, rejoice and celebrate. That's the proper response to all this. Right? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Paul quotes this verse in Romans 4 to say that God has done everything necessary 
for your salvation in Jesus. Rejoice and celebrate because Jesus came to live the life you could not live and to die the death you should have died. All your sins were counted to him so that all his righteousness could be counted to you. And it's a free gift. And our response to that should be rejoicing and celebration. Verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Third, obey out of love. Verse 7, God is no longer your enemy. He is your hiding place. He has surrounded you with shouts of deliverance, David says. Verse 10, steadfast love now surrounds you. And listen, that calls for obedience, not obedience that's done in a way to cover up, but obedience out of, his, out of love for his covering you. See, verse 9 says, don't be like the horse or the mule. They have bit and bridle so that you can turn them and steer them and make them go certain directions. What David is saying, instead, find the freedom to obey out of love, not out of compulsion and not out of fear. All right, fourth and last, tell other people, right? Verse six, it's somewhere around verse six anyway, David stopped praying and started proclaiming. He's calling others to the freedom of confession. See, it's not, I hope you see it's not what we often think or expect. Confession isn't about beating ourselves up or about being miserable and being kept down. Confession is about freedom. And if you know it, that's a message that needs proclaiming. The knees proclaiming to a world that's struggling with the problem of guilt and shame. Let's pray together.